Good morning. I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. It is my honor and privilege to have you with us and to invite you to point your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel is towards the beginning of your Bible, and we'll be spending our time together in verses 1 to 11 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. The title of this sermon is Hannah's Joy. Hannah's Joy. Before we jump into the text, if you would allow me to pray for you, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We magnify you, O Lord. Our spirit rejoices in God, our Savior. For you, Lord, have looked upon us in our humble estate. You've not left us to ourselves and to our sins. You've sent your spirit to convict us. You've sent your word to reveal your son to us. You gave us faith. You put godly sorrow in our hearts. You granted us repentance. And you showed us mercy. For this we thank you. Lord, we are your people. And you are our God. You have called us to holiness. And how we want to be holy for your sake. Humble us for not being holy as we should be. Forgive us, Lord, if we have not taken purity as seriously as you do. Forgive us for seeking satisfaction in the things of this world. And remind us that to have you is to have everything. When we sin, give us grace to run to the cross. Teach us not to try and appease you by promising to obtain from future sin. We will never satisfy your laws. Keep us from resting in our own righteousness. Keep us from trusting in our own resolve. Rather, teach us to be a people who rest in the righteousness of Christ. Jesus, you are our sufficiency. You are our confidence in the face of temptation. Give us faith by which we can grab hold of you and to be safe. Lord, we pray for Gospel Community Church in Troy. Will you fill that church with your Holy Spirit? Will you grant Pastor Jason and the elders there wisdom and grace to serve the membership well? Give them humility and gospel clarity. Give them strong convictions informed by your word to lead and to love your people. Will you enable the membership to mature in the Lord? Bless their discipling ministries with one another. Keep even one member from being a consumer. Keep them connected to each other. And may they function as a healthy body. Will you bring sinners to repentance through the ministry of the word at Gospel Community Church? Grant them, Lord, the the privilege of conversions and leading young Christians to mature in the Lord. Give them favor with the communities. Give them opportunities to evangelize the lost. Give them the means and the desire to do so. Lord, grow GCC deep and wide for the glory of Jesus and the advance of the gospel in Troy in Miami County. Amen. Few men have been used by the Lord in helping us understand the Bible more than Augustine of Hippo. St. Augustine is a native of North Africa, a product of the 
4th and 5th century A.D. It is among the greatest of the theologians in church history. And Augustine was, if anything, a mama's boy. No one played a greater role in bringing Augustine to faith than his mother, Monica. Throughout his philosophical and ethical wonderings, Monica prayed daily for her brilliant son. And God answered the prayers of that mother and brought her boy to faith in 386 A.D. Thus, it is not surprising that Augustine took quick note of the massive theological contribution of a different mother, the one we're studying today, a mother named Hannah. Augustine wrote, Through this woman, whose very name means grace, we see the very Christian religion, the very city of God, whose king and founder is Christ. Therefore, let the church of Christ, the city of the great king, full of grace, prolific of offspring, say by the mouth of this pious mother, my heart is made strong in the Lord, and my horn is exalted in my God. End quote. What Augustine perceived, what I trust you will see, is that Hannah is more than our grandmother. Hannah is our instructor. She, by her unassailable faith in God, honoring endurance and robust theology, teaches Christians to be grounded in the greatness of God and by which they will be able to give everything and endure anything and do so singing with joy. Hannah serves us this morning with her big God theology. And Hannah corrects us in our preference for little God theology. We have a preference for little God theology. A little God asks little of us. A little God can be manipulated and controlled and brought out when it suits us. A little God makes for a little life. A little life that gives little, that endures little and has little joy. A little life that is built on the wrong things and live for the wrong reasons. But a big God, the kind that we read about in Hannah's prayer, produces generous people, enduring people. Joyful people, the people that we will be if we take heed to what we read in the song of Hannah. This is what we learn in Hannah's song in verses 1 to 10. Those who know the greatness of God will give everything and endure anything and sing for joy. Those who know the greatness of God will give everything and endure anything and sing for joy. This is what we see in the prayer and in the life of our grandmother, Hannah. So perhaps if it's okay with you, I would like to do a quick review from chapter 1 and introduce us again to Hannah. 
year by year, Hannah packed her clothes for a family trip up to Shiloh to worship the Lord. And Hannah packed only her clothes. Other women of her same age would have been packing for themselves and for their children, but Hannah had no children. The Lord had closed her womb. Now God had promised his people that when they came into the land of Canaan, there would be no barren womb among them. And yet here is Hannah in Canaan with a barren womb. Every month, an unwelcomed reminder of her infertility. She ate her husband's food. She slept under her husband's roof. And she gave her husband no children. And to make matters worse, Hannah's sister wife used her barrenness to provoke her. This was Hannah's life. And the Bible says Hannah poured out her soul before the Lord. She had turned her afflictions to petitions. She humbled herself and entrusted her life and her lot to her Lord. And the Lord remembered her. The one who had closed her womb now opened her womb and Hannah gave birth to a son. And she called his name Samuel a name which means I have asked for him from the Lord. How long had Hannah waited for a son? For years. And now she had one. And now she nursed her baby boy. Every day he was her reminder that her Lord had not forgotten about her. And after three years... Three birthdays, Samuel was weaned, and Hannah kept her vow that she had made to the Lord. Hannah packed her clothes, but not only her clothes. She packed Samuel's clothes for a family trip up to Shiloh, where she would lend her son to the Lord for the rest of his life. I cannot imagine how difficult it must have been. I remember the first time I dropped my oldest son off to the babysitter, and I was the one bawling like a baby. How could she give so much? How could Hannah endure so much? I propose to you this morning that Hannah's doctrine in chapter 2 is the key to understanding Hannah's devotion in chapter 1. I propose to you this morning whatever affliction you're enduring, whatever it is that the Lord is asking of your life, your grandmother's theology in 1 Samuel 2 will be more helpful to you than even your grandmother's devotion in 1 Samuel chapter 1. This is something every Christian must learn. Who God is, is greater and more of a comfort 
than what God gives. Those who know the greatness of their God, who He is, will give everything, endure anything, and do so with joy. This is what Hannah teaches us in this song. She teaches us who God is. Let's start reading 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Before we get into the details of this, these three verses, I want to say a word to the women of our church. Sisters, what we have read here just a moment ago is your grandmother's theology. And it is deep and it is profound theology. And I need you to listen to me. Don't you let anyone, not even a pastor, tell you or even infer to you that women can't or shouldn't do theology. Don't settle for the flimsy, featherweight fluff that's coming out of Christian publishers geared to women. That's insulting. God has and God continues to use theologically robust women to form and to shape his church. There would be no Augustine without a Monica. And our church would greatly benefit if our women would read theology, would engage with John Calvin, would mine the Puritans, would bang their biblically informed brains against Jonathan Edwards and the like. Women can and women must do theology. And I'll take issue with anyone who says otherwise. Behold Grandma Hannah's big God theology. She starts in verse 1. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. The Lord is mentioned nine times in her prayer. My heart exalts in the Lord. In Hebrew thought, the heart is the center of the person. It is the place at which motivations take place. It is the place where emotions come from and decisions are made. Hannah is saying that the joy of my life, the center of my life is in the Lord. And her mention of a horn is symbolic of strength. She is saying that the source of my delight and the source of my strength is my Lord. It's not in her answered prayer. It's not in her son. The source of her joy is her God. 
And we need to take a lesson from Grandma Hannah today that in affliction we ought to source our strength and our delight in God. Not, not whether or not God will give us what we think that we need, but in God Himself. As I've already mentioned, there is greater comfort in who God is than in what God gives. And Hannah rejoices in the Lord's salvation. Her boast is in the Lord. Hannah's joy comes from the greatness of God. She notes in verse 2 that God is holy. She says, none is holy like the Lord. There is none besides him. The word holy means that God is different. He is separate. He is a category unto himself. He is unparalleled. He is unequaled. None is so excellent as he. None is so wise. None is so powerful. No one is as glorious. No one as majestic as he. He is indescribable, uncontrollable. He is unlike anyone and unlike anything. He is holy. How is this? A comfort? How is this joy for Hannah? The holiness of God is the greatest comfort and joy, dear Christian. When you are weak, what is it that you need most? But someone who isn't weak. When you're confused, what is it that you need more than anything else? Someone who isn't confused. In our affliction, we need a holy God, someone who isn't like us. Look, I have stood at the hospital bedside of enough sufferers to know I am not what they need. I can tell them that they're going to be okay, but I don't really know. Only God knows. They don't need me. They need someone who is not like me, someone who is not like them, someone who is holy and other than us. They need someone holy. Hannah's comfort and joy comes from the greatness of God's holiness and it comes from the greatness of God's strength. She goes on, there is no rock like our God. A couple of weeks ago, my family and I were hiking around a mountain, a rock mountain in North Carolina. We passed several people who were rock climbing. If you've ever seen anyone rock climb before, there are ropes that are attached to special tools that have been hammered into and wedged into uh, the rock. And those ropes are attached to harnesses so that when they climb up, if they should slip, they would be safe. The rope would hold on to the rock and the rock would not move. Over and over again, the Bible says that God is a rock. Think about it, a rock does not move in a storm. A rock doesn't have bad days where it goes soft. It is always hard, always strong, always dependable, always stable. That is like God. He is our rock. He is our safety. David himself sang, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. 
What will get you through affliction? Is it the promise of your relief? Or is it the power of your God? In verse 3, Grandma Hannah warns the proud and the arrogant. She says, the Lord knows everything. The Lord sees everything. And the Lord judges everything. This is truly a comfort for you in your affliction, dear Christian. Suppose that your affliction is coming to you by the hands of someone else. Perhaps it's coming to you by the hands of a government or through the hands of an unjust system. The Lord knows. The Lord sees. And the Lord weighs the actions of men. No one is able to hide from his all-seeing eyes. He knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What great freedom there is for you here. You, dear Christian, are free from ever worrying that the adversary will win the day. The enemy will not get away with anything. God sees everything. You are free from the burden of having to show your oppressor the wrong that he or she has done to you. You are released from your concern for revenge. You are free to endure with quiet confidence that God sees and that God weighs and that God will be just. You are free as the Lord Jesus said, to turn the other cheek, to forgive those who've oppressed you, and to walk with them two miles when they've only asked for one. By him, Hannah says, actions are weighed. My non-Christian friend, no doubt you consider yourself to be a good person. And by many standards, I'm sure that you are. But God is not weighing your actions by many standards. He is weighing your actions by one standard. By Him, actions are weighed. And I wonder, if God were to reveal your innermost thoughts... If God were to take the secrets of your heart and transcribe them on a big screen for everyone to see, I wonder if you would still consider yourself a good person. But friend, this is the reality facing all of us. This is a pass-fail judgment based on perfection. And the results of this test mean eternal life, or eternal damnation. No one can stand the scrutiny of an all-seeing, perfect God who holds everyone to His standard. But you see, this is what it means to be a Christian. To recognize that you haven't measured up. That you have fallen short of the glory of Almighty God. That you're not good. In any sense, really. But that there is only one who is good. And by God, 
His actions have been weighed and Jesus Christ is the only one who has been found standing. And when you turn to Jesus Christ by faith, confessing your sin, trusting Him to stand in your place, you will be forgiven of your sin and granted eternal life. Confess your sin today. Trust in Jesus today and then tell someone about it. In verses 1 to 3, we see Hannah's joy in God's greatness. In verses 4 to 8, we see Hannah's joy in God's government. Let's pick up reading in verse 4. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. I once saw a bumper sticker that read, Annoy a liberal. Work hard, succeed, and be happy. I understand that this is said in tongue and cheek, but it resonates with conservative Americans because it is built on the conservative ideal that hard work plus determination equals success, which can be true. And in a free country, by God's grace, thankfully, it is often true. But there is a subtle danger in that ideal. Should God grant success, if we are not careful, we will begin to believe that our success came because of our hard work and determination. And unless we are careful, we will believe that our success is our doing, our might, our work ethic. And we will also believe that those who don't have success, as we define it, are lazy. That they don't share our ideals or work ethic. Sometimes you work hard and you get promoted. Sometimes you work hard and someone else gets promoted. Sometimes you put in the hours, you put in the work, you train hard and you win gold. Sometimes you get the flu and don't even qualify for the Olympics. Life isn't as formulaic as we would often like. So much is just out of our control. 
And Grandma Hannah's profound insight into the government of God is that success isn't measured the way that the world measures success. Success in God's kingdom is not based on the might of man, on the power of man, or how many toys man has. Success is submission to God. And in his kindness, the Lord often reverses the systems of this world in order to humble the might of man and to show himself strong. Take note of seven reversals in Hannah's prayer. Strength is given to the feeble instead of the mighty. Food is given to the hungry instead of the full. Children are granted to the barren instead of the fertile. Riches are given to the poor instead of the wealthy. Life is given to those in the grave instead of the living. And the humble is exalted instead of the great. This is the sort of reversal that appears throughout the book of Samuel. We learn that the Lord sees not as man sees. We'll learn here in a few weeks that the people looked to the tall and handsome man named Saul to lead them. And then we'll see that the Lord looked upon the heart of a shepherd boy named David. We'll see that the Philistines put forth an armored giant to fight their battles. And God defeated him with a teenager's slingshot. Well, the Apostle Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Friends, beware the subtle inferences of the world's philosophies. Lest God would grant us success and and we would boast in our own might. You see, we are not so far removed from Herod Agrippa, who in Acts chapter 12, we are told, received the praise for his greatness and an angel from the Lord smote him because he did not give glory to God. In God's economy, it is not the strong who will succeed. It is the weak, those who are dependent on the Lord. God's people are saved not by their own great might, not by their own good decision-making, but by grace. Hannah's list of reversals are a prelude to the way in which Almighty God would save the world. The essence of the Christian faith is in this great reversal. The sin of us all has been laid on the sinless one. We deserve condemnation, and Jesus was condemned in our place. Jesus took what we deserve and gave his people what he deserved. He became weak, stumbling over the weight of his own sin in order to give strength to the weary. He went without bread in the wilderness in order to become the bread of life for the hungry. He went alone to the cross of Calvary in order for sinners to be joined into the fellowship of God. He became poor in order that those who trust in Him would be made rich. 
Jesus was brought low. Jesus was despised. Jesus was rejected so that his people could be lifted up and loved and accepted. He was brought down to Sheol, the place of the grave, so that his people could be raised to new life. What our grandmother Hannah had proclaimed about God, Jesus revealed as God. The greatness of God's government and the joy this brings culminates in the grace of God's Christ. This is what Hannah shows to us in verses 9 to 11. Let's pick up in verse 9. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. Not by might shall a man prevail. Well, if not by might, then, then how? How will a man prevail? God will guard the feet of his faithful ones. Not by power, not by might, but by his spirit. It is all of grace. Those who are following the Lord in this life will be established and guarded by the Lord into the next life. They will walk in light, whereas the wicked, trusting in themselves, will be lost in darkness. We will never be generous so long as we are trusting in our own might. We'll always hold back something for ourselves. Only until we know that it is God who holds the pillars of the earth, God who holds the pillars of my life, will I ever be free to give generously. Never will we endure faithfully so long as we are trusting in our own strength because we'll always be acting in our own self-interest, always acting in our own self-preservation. It is only when we know that God will guard our feet by His grace are we free to endure anything well. And it teaches us that it is not by physical strength or mental toughness that we will get through. Hannah teaches us it is God who saves. Knowing the greatness of God is the only way that we'll be generous, the only way that we will endure, and the only way we will experience lasting joy. Hannah could endure affliction and give Samuel to the Lord because she knew the greatness of God. She knew he was good. She knows he knows all. She knows that he sees all. And she knows that he works all things for his glory. Listen to the final words of Grandmother Hannah in this book. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. 
So either it is insight gleaned from the scriptures or by prophetic revelation, Hannah sees that God is about to raise up a king. And we're reading this book expecting that king to be the king of Israel. And most certainly that is in view here. But this king, notice, is also called God's anointed. The Hebrew word for anointed is Messiah. The Greek word is Christos or Christ. Hannah is the first mention of the Messiah in the Bible. The Lord as judge of the earth will raise up his king, his Messiah, and he will be exalted over all. He will be given the name above every name. He, at his name, every knee will bow in heaven and under the earth, and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Grandma Hannah's deep theology and deep knowledge of God was the source of Hannah's joy. She could give everything to the Lord, endure anything from the Lord, because she knew the greatness of the Lord. And this is Hannah's contribution to the church of Jesus Christ. Hannah's song about Hannah's Messiah is like another song about the Messiah. And it too was sung by a female theologian who had a miracle birth of her own. And it is only fitting, I think, to end our time together by reading from the Magnificat. Mary the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, sang this song in Luke chapter 1. And I trust as you listen, you will hear many similarities in Hannah's song. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you We praise you for our grandmother Hannah and for the faith that you have preserved in her for us. Thank you for the divinely inspired author for Samuel who saw to save her story for us. Lord, I ask you again as I have often asked you to raise up theologically rich women like Hannah in our church. 
Bless our church with women who know the greatness of their God, who give everything to you, who endure anything from you, and do so with great joy. Will you forgive me or the leaders of this church if we have ever intentionally or unintentionally stifled the song of your daughters? We confess, Lord, that we have been giving into little God theology, that our view of you is far too small. It's been more informed by our ideas and our culture than by your word. And we have fallen short of the purity deserving our king. Will you forgive us? Will you show us mercy? Will you grant to us the righteousness of Christ? Please refine us, Father. Make yourself big in our eyes. Increase our estimation of your son. Deepen our understanding of him. And widen our view of his glory. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Your assurance of pardon this morning comes from the Magnificat. Luke chapter 1, verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Grace and peace.